0: This man has certainly seen a lot in his lifetime. With millions of records sold worldwide and over 5,300 concert appearances, this half of the rock duo Air Supply is busy writing songs, producing albums, working in his garden, and right now in the studio recording a brand new album. Air Supply was named number 36 in the Billboard Hot 100 top pop groups or duos of all time. Today, we sit down and talk with Graham Russell of Air Supply on this episode of If Not For Music. How you doing, sir? Oh, good. How are you doing? I am doing great. Doing great, man. I am honored to have you on my podcast, If Not For Music. We're broadcasting out of Fort Worth, Texas.
1: Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much. I want
0: to say it's an honor. You guys have had such a tremendous impact on my life with the soundtracks you guys have provided, uh, such great music, all the concerts over the years. Just a huge fan.
1: Oh, thank you. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. So how are you doing there in Utah? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm absolutely doing great. Getting ready. We leave. Well, I leave tomorrow for to go back on tour. And we've had uh, we had ten days off because we were recording. So, but we're back on the road tomorrow.
0: Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about your new album. Um, what kind of sound are you going to capture on the new album? Um, you know, it's it's typically
1: an air supply sound, but it's just uh, it's a it, I, I imagine it would be it's air supply in the uh, 21st century really it's just a little a little further along our path it's uh it's it's, it's certainly going to be the best album we've ever made and uh, we're working with a, a producer brian house who's really brought a different slant to the songs and to the whole concept of an album and we're really enjoying it right now
0: how long did it take you to put the songs together for the new album
1: uh well you know I write all the time even if we're not doing an album I just I pretty much write every day um or I I play every day I'll play piano or guitar and whenever I sit down something pops out so I'm usually working on a new song every day or pieces of songs so I've always got an arsenal whenever we want to record you know I usually have about 20 songs ready to go at any time and um uh, but we only just decided to record an album about 6 weeks ago you know we were going to do what a lot of artists do and just release singles and we thought well that's okay but you know we're an album band so why don't we why don't we do make another album and so we said oh, okay let's do it and that's what we did so um we're in the middle of it right now we've recorded uh, 10 tracks uh, so we have three more to go, and uh, it's 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 great to be in the studio again. You know, we haven't recorded an album for 14 years, um, and we always record live. We don't use computers. We just we do everything live with the whole band playing at the same time. So it has to be close to perfect. You know, there's no uh, misgivings when you're playing live. You you don't go back and correct anything. It's got to be right on. So and it's good. It's a great exercise. Uh, musicians, you know, they have to really know what they're doing, and and they have to know the songs inside out too.
0: Do you have an expected release date for this album yet?
1: No, we don't. We're trying not to come up with a release date until until it's all finished, because it might be a bit a little premature. I mean, uh, we we're hoping right before Christmas. You know, I know it's a long way off, but uh, you see, with us, because we tour so much we have to block out time at least three months in advance to record. And we just had our, our third stretch of recording in Los Angeles. And now the next one is September because we have so many shows booked, you know, we don't have the luxury of saying, Oh, let's take three months off and record uh, because we have so many shows uh, on the books already. And plus we love to play live, you know, we just love it. And it's, it's exciting for us, and um, and it adds to the studio uh, work. You know, it, it keeps us in shape musically. And so, when we go in, we've you know done a lot of shows. And then we go in to record after a couple of days, and we'll spend ten days uh, recording, which is it's, it's works great for us when we do it that way. Are you testing any
0: of the new music out on the road?
1: Um, we're, we're gonna start doing that we're gonna start doing that next week actually um and, and we like to test songs out that's a, a great part of it for us uh we don't tell people we're testing them out we say, well, "This is a new song you know but we listen intently to the the applause we can tell and we go oh great you know so we can tell uh if a song is gonna make it you know for us i mean um uh, but before we even test songs out or record, it goes through a rigorous um, process. You know, I, I, I say, no, this song is not right. We, you know, this song is. And we go through a, a process of uh, not getting rid of songs, but stripping them down so that when we go into record, we're pretty confident that it's going to be really nice. It's going to be cool
0: just want you to know, in honor of you today, I'm wearing my Paul McCartney uh, Freshen It Up Tour shirt today because I know you're a big Beatles fan. But uh, Oh, great. <laughs> who, who were some of your earlier influences that led you to music other than the Beatles?
1: Um, well, you know I, I'm the youngest of two children, and I grew up in a very working-class family in the center of England, and all we had was the BBC radio for years. And so... You know, my elder sisters and my parents had the radio on all the time. And on the BBC, it would be um, artists from the fifties, and uh, even before that sometimes. And so it was Elvis, Frank Sinatra, uh, Paul Anker, and all those kind of, Cliff Richards, who was an English artist. So it was those uh, early artists that really influenced me before the beaters came along. But the, the great thing for me, and I've thought about this often, is I was exposed to some great songs. You know, Carol uh, King, Jerry Goffin's songs, uh, Al- Elvis's songs. They were great songs. So I, I became aware of those at a very early age. Frank Sinatra, uh, Perry Como, and all those great artists. I already had like a, an inkling of what song how songs were put together. When the Beatles came along, uh, everything changed for me. I went, "Oh yeah, this this is this is what I want to do." You know,
0: were there any artists that really inspired you? you know, some um, some of your contemporaries uh, that you were listening to back when you guys were, you know, getting
1: started out in the seventies and eighties? Yeah, there was. Uh, I'm a, of course I'm apart from the Beatles and McCartney. Uh, I'm a big ELO fan. Uh, And actually ELO's music is kind of based on the Beatles anyway, but I've always gone for a melody, you know, I just love melody in a song. So consequently, um, I'm not a a big fan of, of jazz because for me it's too complicated and there's no melody in there. If there's not a melody in a piece of music, I start to drift. So, uh, but, you know, growing up with the artists that I just mentioned, they all had great melodies, and so that was drummed into me subconsciously. So when I started to write songs when I was 13, I already had that melody in my melodies in my head from all the artists I'd listened to. But for me, I you know, I grew up with ELO, Rolling Stones, The Who, those English bands kind of... Uh, they're not considered heavy, but for, for them they were. But all those English bands, I just loved them so much. And then I got into r and B a a bit later, you know, on the American influence. But for me, it was those melodic bands from the 70s, you know. And I'm sure
0: harmony played a big part in that as well.
1: Yeah, it did. I just love harmony. And uh, it was, once again, it was really a subconscious thing coming from everything I listened to. It's quite amazing how when you're young uh, different things influence you and you don't even you're not even aware of it not just music but uh you know life in general your daily things that you do it's all it's all you soak it all up when you're a young teenager without realizing it music for me was was everything and cool harmony i just loved it i mean i remember listening to the everly brothers when i was like 10 years old at school and people were at school, people were saying, oh, there's this song called Kathy's Clown by this group, the Everly brothers and and their two brothers. I'm like, oh wow. And you, I listened to it and the harmony is so beautiful, so close because they're they're brothers. And I thought, wow, that's beautiful. You know, and everything they recorded was a two part harmony. So that really was drummed into me too. For me, with new song when I write a new song, I obviously there's the melody there, but I'm the next thing I think about is the is the harmony right there. And I always come up with a, a beautiful super tight harmony that I know either Russell or myself is gonna sing. But also when when I bring a new song to Russell, you know, I'll sit down and play it on guitar or piano and, and I'll just sing it and he'll jump in and sing that harmony straight away without me even saying anything. He just does that. Uh, and he did that with years ago with Lost in Love. I was playing it to him on guitar and I, was, I started to sing it for the first time. And he just jumped in and sang the harmony and it sounded great. And I went, oh, that's beautiful. So it's, it's a natural thing too, that uh, fortunately between Russell and I with all the songs, we both sing together really tightly. You know, not unlike the Everly Brothers, or I think they were super tight. But uh, we just love harmony. It's a beautiful thing. It takes it a takes melody to the next level.
0: I saw David Gates and Bread in concert on their 25th um, reunion tour back in the mid-'90s. And one of the things he said that really kind of impressed me was he said, if I'd have known these songs were going to be around 25 years later, I would have recorded them in a lower key. Do you guys kind (laughs) of look at that
1: kind of sort of like something like that? Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Um, Yeah, there's two songs that we've dropped the key and they are Making Love Out of Nothing at All, which originally was in um, G and now it's in. E. So we've dropped that uh, one and a half steps, which is not that far. And Lust in Love used to be in G, now it's in F. So that's dropped a full step. Um, and they're the only two songs we've dropped. I mean, Everything Else to Less Only People, All Out of Love, which is very high, are all in the original key. Uh, so we're doing okay right now. But funnily enough, uh, when I finish a new song, um, I've move it around to see what key really is going to fit Russell. Because I I don't want him singing something super high anymore because it's a real strain, you know. So the new songs are still high, but they're not up there with high Ds uh, that he used to sing. And now I keep, I like to keep it around A and even a B, B flat. So, um, we're very conscious of that, but I'm sure you know there are a lot of artists that who, who didn't realize their songs would be real songs for everyone up for generations That is it's really high you know and and here we are we' are vintage musicians singing the same songs and and hopefully doing it really well
0: forty seven plus years later, I think you guys are still doing a great job. me and my wife saw you. Right before the pandemic, we went and saw you guys out at Windstar in Oklahoma. You guys put on an awesome show. We
1: we totally enjoyed it. Oh, great! Yeah, I, yeah, we're playing that again soon too. Uh, that's a great a great venue, and it's funny every time we go there, the place is expanding. It's like getting bigger and bigger. But we've played it for a long time and it's great great to be there. But thank you for that. Yeah, we're very proud of our, our live show. Uh, you know, where we've kind of got our live show down. You know, we've done, in our career, we've done over 5,300 live shows. So by then, we should have it down, you know. But we, we love to play live. We love the thrill of the audience there getting in amongst amongst everyone and seeing people's reactions and they're laughing they're crying and everything in between so it's a great thrill for us even more than recording we just love to get on stage and you know Russell and I said years and years ago because people say oh when are you are you going to retire we say no Uh, we're going to stop playing when the people stop coming to see us, because we wouldn't want that to happen we want to go out on our own terms you know but I don't think that's going to be for a while we're both feeling great, we're pretty fit, for people of, of our years. And, uh, you know, every day, the, sh- the live show is our main focus. That's, everything's geared towards that.
0: First and foremost, you guys are a rock band. Anybody that's ever seen you live would realize that you guys are a rock man. 5,300 plus shows, what do you do to keep your show fresh?
1: For me, and I think for a lot of artists, you, you've got to stay fit. Because if you're fit physically, mentally, you're going to be sharp. And when you do work out, as I do every day, it keeps you mentally active and aware. And that's very important. And sometimes, you know, you go, "Oh, I don't feel like it today. But you just do it because the end result is the show. And if you have a better show, that's what it's all about. So, you know, I'm very conscious uh, of what I eat. I never have a glass of wine before the show. Russell doesn't drink at all. Most of our band and crew don't drink, which is very rare for rock and roll people. Uh, But, you know, when you're up at our age, you know, you've got to be conscious of that because you can't have a a lifestyle where you eat junk food and you're drinking all the time. You can't do that and, and get on stage and give a great show. You just can't. And it's funnily enough, you know, looking at uh, all the other artists like even McCartney and the Stones, they're the same way now. They don't, they don't drink anything. Um, you know, Mick Jagger runs two miles before he goes on stage. It's all that kind of thing now because we're older than we used to be. Uh, obviously, um, you know, we we never go out anywhere after a show in the eighties. We'd you know go out somewhere for dinner or go to a club or something. And now the thought of that is like mystified Wow! Well, how did we ever have the energy to do that so once again the show is everything for us and you know once we've done the show we're back to the hotel and um, and that's it for us and then we get ready for the next one but it's, it's li- living a good lifestyle fresh air clean water Great food, and and just look after yourself and be sharp.
0: You know, you know that kind of that, that kind of leads me into my next question because you guys weren't in the spotlight back in your heyday. You weren't out trashing hotel rooms, people. <laughs> you know, we never saw you on um, behind the music because there really wasn't a story to tell as far as. You know, a glamorous drug overdose or drug addiction or anything like that. So it was kind of good for the fans to know that we could depend on your music being out there. And you guys just, you had a really good image.
1: Yeah, well, we do. And thank you for that. But you're right. in, In the 80s and 90s, we weren't that band that were in the papers. We were hardly in the papers at all we just weren't news we weren't good copy we were the two two guys from Australia who got the suntan and always smiling and they spoke funny and um, and they have all these uh, love songs you know that really wasn't good copy for anyone but we're reaping the rewards now because we're on top of our game we love what we're doing and we, and we see ourselves doing it a long time here. it paid off you know not being not going out doing crazy things and getting drunk all the time. That's just a, a not us at all, you know. And now we are reaping the rewards because we can get out and know we're, we've got a great show and we're on top of everything and that's what it's all about for us, you know.
0: One of the things I learned from watching a bunch of your interviews to prepare for this interview here was you're an mm-hmm. avid gardener, which my dad is. I'll, I'll tell you a little story here. My dad, he he grows a garden every year. He, oh. he has tomatoes growing all over his garden in different spots and he didn't realize he doesn't realize why why are these tomatoes sprouting up i'm not planting them and uh, i was i was listening to your your interview and you said for you that don't know it tomatoes are perennial that means they're going to come back every year whether you plant them or not i don't think he realized he's been gardening for years i don't think he realized he was working with a perennial there
1: yeah, they are a perennial. Yeah, and not, you're right. Not, not a lot of gardeners are aware of that. They plant them every year, but they—if you prune them, they, instead of pulling them up and prune them, they will come back and they'll thrive. But uh, yeah, I'm a big gardener, and I have been for a long time. And a lot of my ancestors were gardeners, so I think it's in my blood. But uh, it's a great balance for me. Um, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to have. I have a big greenhouse where I live, and uh, my greenhouse is geothermal because, you know, I live in Utah and get a lot of snow, but my greenhouse is sunk into the ground uh, 10 feet, and it heats and cools itself. It's, you know, it does its own thing. Um, But it's great for me because I can grow food year-round, and when I come off the road and, and I'm a bit you know, tired, a bit fried. I go in there and I get rejuvenated and and it it grounds me. And, you know, I've got all the plants roses and all kinds of vegetables and it's just wonderful for me. Russell has no interest in anything like that. But for me, it's great. So I I like to live a a balance where I can garden uh, and I can garden even in winter when there's five feet of snow outside. And then I can go and write a song in my studio. So, That, for me, is a great life. And and I love that balance. I really do. I I just love growing things. It's it's great.
0: (laughs) Now, do you cook things as well? I mean, are you out in the kitchen fixing up these vegetables that
1: you're growing? Or does somebody else do that? Yeah, I am, yeah. Um, Well, I I don't eat meat or dairy, you know, um, of any kind. So I'm pretty much, it's all vegetables for me. And to a lot of people, I know that sounds boring. Um, You know, people like to eat beef and a lot of chicken stuff like that, but I I prefer not to. For me, it's it, my my body type. It's better for me. I feel better, and uh, I just feel more alive. But I do I do cook, yeah, quite quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, that that again is, is another release for me because being on the road and at airports, you know, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to get anything decent to eat it's all fast food and i don't want to eat that because it makes me sluggish you know we have that constantly fortunately at our crew meal on a show day we have dinner at five thirty every night and there's vegan dishes and vegetarian dishes now so we've come a long way in the old days it would be you know beef stew or whatever i think once again at my time in life and and Russell's time in life. You have to be careful. You know, we want to have a longer, a long career, and you have to make choices. And that's what I like to make. But I, I love, I love to cook. It's great I'm have a, to get the radio going and get the cooking. Yeah, I'm
0: a, I'm a cook as well. Um, me and my wife both. Oh, oh, kinda, we kind of share that duty. Uh, I'm more of an outdoor cook guy, though. That's kind of my deal: cooking outside. But. Yeah, oh, I do too.
1: I love that. I love cooking. It can't in Utah, not for another month or so, but I'm sure you can down there. (laughs) Yeah, in Texas will get it all year round. Oh, I know, yeah. I mean, the barbecue in Texas is the best. (laughs) You know, when when we're down there, I I do go to a barbecue place, but uh, I'll have the coleslaw and the beans and the cornbread and stuff like that, and and it's fantastic. You got to try the smoked baked potatoes. Oh,
0: really? oh, I've never had that smoke baked potato. Oh, that's a good one. I'll have to check that yeah, out. It's a good one. So, oh wow! When you're writing new music, you're putting new songs together. How much? Yeah. How much uh, influence does your wife have over what you're doing? I mean, a lot of times I'll be out here in my studio creating something for a podcast, and my I'll bounce it off my wife, and I think it's a really good idea, and, and I'll tell it to her, and she's like, "Nah, I don't think that's so great." Does your wife have that kind of influence over you?
1: Um not really well no not really i mean sometimes i'll ask her opinion not about the songs i'll i'll ask her opinion about something that might be in the song without saying oh this is part of the song i'll say would you say this or would you say that what do you think about this and and she'll give an unbiased opinion and go oh no i wouldn't do that oh yeah i'd say that (laughs) uh and then i'll go back and. And adjust what I'm writing about. And but I, you know, I I often ask people opinions about things without them knowing I'm I'm fishing for lyrics or for a song. Um, you know, I'll say, "Would you? What do you think about this? Would you say that?" Yeah, yeah I'd say that. Oh, okay. Um, so I do get people's opinions on things. I think that's important because as a songwriter, you don't know everything, and uh, you know, I I don't uh socialize too much when we're not on the road i live in a kind of a remote area which i prefer and so i don't get to see a lot of people so i'm not in conversations a lot but i am when we're on the road we meet a lot of people so i prefer not to be in that environment when uh i'm at home because that's where i need to be to to ride so, but I do get people's opinions now and again, you know. I think it's vital.
0: One of your career highlights
1: was meeting
0: Princess Diana and Prince Charles and then finding out, of all things, Princess Diana was a fan of your music. What was that like for you?
1: That was uh, quite an amazing moment. We, we played a command performance in Australia because it was Australia's Bicentennial. And we were asked to, to play um, afterwards. You know, everybody involved, and there were other artists on the bill, too. Uh, you get to meet them and uh, and and I was getting nervous when she was coming down the line because I mean she was a true princess and one of the most prominent figures in the world at the time. And I thought, oh my god, you know i'm I'm meeting Princess Diana and and you know, I was kind of shaking a little bit and and you you know you you shake hands and you bow your head. And she said, oh, I have to say, I've got one or two of your albums at home. And I went, oh, great. <laughs> so she kind of broke the ice. But the next day I was invited to uh, to a luncheon with them too. And that was uh, really cool, simply because uh, it was really relaxed. And you know, I you don't really know what to do at a lunch with the with Prince and the future King of England. But you know, after five or 10 minutes, the guards come down and uh, and you know you're passing the bread and you're passing the salt and pepper and it's like a normal lunch but it, it was wonderful and certainly one of the highlights of, of my career. One of my favorite songs of,
0: of Air Supplies is Every Woman in the World. Yeah. Now I know you've got some backstories on some other songs some really good backstories but th- is there a backstory on that song there? Kyle
1: Davis really wanted us to record this, But we weren't that keen in the beginning, I must say. Because we thought, uh, even though it's a great song, we thought, well, a bit too poppy for us. You know, at that that stage in our career, we had Sweet Dreams, which is kind of a big, epic ballad. And we had The One That You Love, which is another one. And then it was uh, Every Woman In The World. And Clive said, no, you need to do it. It, It'll be one of your, your biggest songs. And so, at that point, we were listening to Clive a lot because of his legendary opinions. We said, OK, and we record it. And of course, once we'd done it, it, it sounded great. But once again, in the studio, as with all the songs, we never know who's going to sing it. And Russell went in to sing, to sing the, the verse, like, overnight oh, scenes, all that stuff. And it didn't sound right. And and normally Russell always has the first go at any song because he's the lead singer but it just didn't sound right and he kept trying it trying it. and he said now you come in and sing it and I said, I had I didn't think I was going to be singing it so but when I did the penny dropped and he says yeah you've got to sing the verse and I'll sing the chorus and even though we'd done that a lot on on other songs on All Out of Love and Lost in Love uh, it wasn't by design it's just the way it fell and we in the studio we always say we're going to record things for the benefit of the song which, whichever makes the song sound better and it did on that and I must say when we recorded it, we played it back it sounded fantastic and um, it, it wasn't Poppy at all the way we recorded it, thanks to our producer, and it was a, it was a great track. And you know, I understand why you love it so much. It's a it's a great song and a great record.
0: It's one of those make it just makes you feel good, especially if you have that special person in your life. It just it's one of those songs you can listen to and it just gives you goosebumps.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's a great fact is that the goosebumps factor. But that's that's right, and it's funny because obviously we play it every night and everyone loves it you know it's part of their life story. It's part of their soundtrack so we're very happy and lucky to be able to play something that people really like and go back and say oh yeah i remember what i was doing when i heard this song that's fantastic <laughs> I mean, we have a lot of those songs so we're very fortunate. when
0: i was in radio one of the ways that i knew there was going to be a hit if when i heard a song for the first time and it gave me goosebumps i just knew that was going to be a big song
1: yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's great, it's a great record, and uh, it was recorded really well. I mean, you're right, it's very positive, it's a great positive message for every woman in the world to me, you know, what else do you need to say, you know? Yeah. It's great.
0: So how has the music industry changed for you in
1: positives and negative ways? Well, it's, it's certainly changed, um, certainly since, since the 80s it's changed, and it needed to, everything needs to evolve and move along. Um, but I'm, I must say, you know, a lot of people now, you know, everybody uses computers to record, except us, we, we still play everything live because we really believe that the songs need that. They need to have this organic feeling about them. Um, so in the studio, we record the whole band live, and so they can't make any mistakes. If they do, we've got to go back and, and play it again. It's not like we fix things on the computers. We'd rather do everything organically. But the music industry has changed. Everybody, there's a lot more artists now. Um, record companies aren't so, aren't nearly as influential. And now it's not a matter of if you have a record deal, it's a matter of how many streams you get, how many likes you get. If you get, you know, four or 500,000 streams, then you're you're a, a viable artist. But for us, because we're old school, if you like, uh, you know, we we learnt our trade the hard way. We got in the trenches and learned from the ground up. You know, learning to play, learning uh, to play to an audience, and and we don't just, as you know, we don't just get up on stage and stand there. We engage everybody, and and the audience engages us. So it's a whole attitude that we have. But the music industry is, it's just kind of strange now for us. Because we see it. um, There are so many artists out there. And for us, they kind of sound... A lot of them sound similar. I can't tell one from the other, to be honest. But um, that's just the nature of everything. But the positive side of it, I think, is there are more people out there that have a voice now. And they're writing songs and they're making records, which is really cool. But, you know, the, the hard thing is... To make a song or make a record that people love, and you know everybody wants to have a hit record, of course, but it's not as easy as people think. It's quite difficult, and there's a lot of luck involved. But at the same time, the industry is is a great industry, and we're very proud to be a part of it. And it, it will change again, you know. Uh, even though we're we're making a new album, which was our decision, uh, a lot of people don't buy albums anymore, but that wasn't a part of our decision. We're an album band, and we want to have an album in our hand. I mean, people would be able to stream it, obviously, but we're more, our fans want something to look at and something to hold that's tangible, and that's why we did it again. But the music industry will certainly evolve even more. Who knows where it's going to go? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, when, when we first went from the sets to LPs, it was a big joke. Then from LPs to compact discs was a huge jump, and people resisted that. But now it's all streaming, and funnily enough, vinyl is making a big comeback too. So maybe it's cyclic. Who knows? We might be listening to cassettes soon. I hope not.
0: Maybe we go back to eight track. I remember mean, I had one of your <laughs> right, eight tracks, <laughs> even the first. Yeah, I had one of your well, albums on eight track way back in the day. Yeah,
1: I mean. We've been through a whole, a whole uh, slew of whole different, uh, you know, different uh, ways to listen to music, and uh, it's kind of weird. But, and we, but we we're able to sit back and, and look at it all because we've been around for so long, and it, it's fun. You know, who knows what the next medium is going to be? I don't know.
0: Are there any artists that you find yourself listening to on your on your downtime while you're out in the garden working, or are you just pretty much unplug uh, for music?
1: I pretty much unplug from it because I live it all the time. I mean, if I'm not on the road, I'm working on new songs uh, just because they're there in my head all, all the time. So when I'm I'm downtown, if I'm gardening, I listen to classical music. Um, I'm a big classical fan. And for me, that's where all the inspiration is. You know, listening to the masters, uh, you know, Beethoven, Mozart, uh, Vivaldi. I listen to all those quite a lot because I don't want to listen to a vocal band because I have that in my head 24 hours a day. So I want to listen to something just beautiful and soothing as I'm in the garden doing whatever I'm doing. And for me, uh, classical music is it. Uh, Once again, when I was like six or seven years old listening to Frank Sinatra on the BBC in England, a lot of the music then was classical too they would play 50% classical music so that's ingrained in my brain too and I just love it plus you know we we go on about artists these days that are you know songwriters and you know musicians etc but the real the real genius is all the classical music you know people like Tchaikovsky I mean I sit down and listen to him and I, and I say to myself how on earth did he come up with all these things you know and I say that for a lot of the classical composers and sometimes I don't think they get enough credit but because they're just incredible and, uh, and I hope more people listen to the classics you know.
0: Well that's where it all started those, those artists right there is where it all started to begin with the music Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, you know,
1: the early Beatles stuff, all their orchestrations, are all classical orchestrations because their producer, George Martin, was a classical record producer. He'd never recorded a pop album in his life before the Beatles, so his influences were all classical music. And that's why, in the Beatles' instance, all their arrangements were really classical and why people, were, they heard these great songs, but the arrangements two were just incredible. People have not heard them before because it was a classical arranger doing it. So it certainly helped them. And I mean, that's what I listen to if I'm listening to anything. Absolutely.
0: When me and my wife went to your show in Windstar, you guys closed out the show with a song that I thought was amazing. It didn't sound like anything I'd ever heard from Air Supply. The song was called Desert Sea Sky. It was kind of a techno... Techno, yeah, yeah. Love the love the tune. It blew me away because, like I said, it was nothing like we'd ever heard from Air Supply before. Can you tell us just a little bit about that song?
1: Yeah, I, you know, we were we were in uh, in Israel. We were touring in Israel. This is you know maybe ten years ago, and um, I just started singing this this thing. I was playing my acoustic guitar, but I was I was my twelfth string, and I just started singing "Desert Sea Sky" because. In Israel, obviously, there's a lot of sea, there's a lot of desert, and there's a lot of sky, of course. But I was right there, and I thought, wow, I'm here sitting, and I was pretty close. I was on a balcony overlooking the beach, and it was all sand, and the sea was there, and the sky. And I thought, wow, there's three of these beautiful things all coming together at once. Desert sea sky. Desert sea sky sea sky, so to sand Take your people to the promised land Desert sea sky, show the way Yes, you look so beautiful Some of used to play last in the show you're right we haven't played it for a long time but maybe we should play it again it's a great it was a great thing and pe- people loved it because it was a surprise that they went oh my is this a supplier or somebody else <laughs> it was great and so we we shocked yeah we shocked people but I thank you for that yeah maybe we should play it again
0: I love the video that you put together um, the little documentary video you did as you guys were putting that song together in the studio It's kind of cool
1: yeah that was cool I liked that too thank you I
0: got to say, my favorite part was when you said, you're going to do something. You said, no, I've got to go to the bathroom, but don't follow me.
1: (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. That was cool. That was kind of funny. All right. One more question for you, sir. Okay. The show is called If Not For Music. So the question I ask every guest that I get on here, if not for music, what career do you
1: think you might have pursued? Um, I've. Most likely would have been a teacher. I would like to have taught English or literature, uh, I think. And I, and had I gone that route, I would have gone to university or something to study literature. I mean, I, I studied literature at school before I left, but if I was going to be a teacher, I would have gone a lot deeper with that. But I love English and I love reading and I love poetry, obviously. So I would have gone down that road, I think, and taught and taught, if I could get the qualifications to teach. Uh, I, I think, I like to think I'm a good communicator. You know, I, I I think I am. You know, when you're on stage, you have to be a good communicator. You have to be confident and, and say things that engage people. And I, and I think I can do that after all these years. That's what I would like to have been, to, to teach people and bring any wisdom I may have to young children. I think that would have been a great thing and very satisfying.
0: Well, thanks, Graham. It was great to have you on the podcast today. We look forward to seeing you in June with Christopher Cross.
1: Well, thank you so much. What a great interview and it's a pleasure meeting you and I look forward to seeing you with Christopher Cross in Fort Worth. All right, we'll see you then. Thank you so much, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.